Welcome to the Music of America podcast, where every week we visit a different state in America and meet a different guest in the music industry. Every day, Monday through Friday. We begin in Alabama, and we end in Wyoming. I'm your host, Tom Pollard. Let's talk music here on the Music of America. Happy Thanksgiving from the Music of America podcast. Our guest today, Aaron Chauncey in a band called Herringbone. Talk with Aaron on this holiday after we talk a little bit about Vermont and River Ridge Farms. Vermont's recreation lover's dream, River Ridge Farm. It's a gorgeous vacation rental nestled right in the Green Mountains of Vermont. River Ridge Farm is an escape to everything wonderful Vermont has to offer. This historic farmhouse is set atop 16 acres of fields with mountainous views, pastures, a pond, a tree-lined riverfront. So just come out and enjoy this beautiful spot in the heart of the Green Mountains. Along with multiple nearby ski and mountain resorts, breweries, biking and hiking trails, and other tourist activities, this spot is also unique due to its multiple mountain views and the resident farm animals. Talk to the owner, Diana, about coming out and setting up an interaction with her pets, specifically the pigs, like my grandson got to pet their pigs and he was in heaven. Or just do a farm stay in the comfortable modern farmhouse, which sleeps 11 guests easily. There's enough space here to throw events like retirement parties, New Year's parties, whatever, or just relax and rejuvenate in the beautiful Vermont landscape. Check them out. River Ridge Farms. They're on Facebook, but you can only find them by searching River Ridge Farms Jeffersonville or through Airbnb River Ridge Farms Vermont. Vermont's recreation lover's dream. Aaron Chauncey is our guest and the band is called Herringbone. It took us some getting here, but we got here. So tell us about the band. Tell us about yourself. We did it. Yeah, we did it. A little bit of doing. So you're out of, uh, where? where is, let's start with Attleboro. Where is Attleboro in reference to, say, Worcester or Boston? Or Well, uh, it's actually much closer to Providence, Rhode Island. Oh, no kidding. So, like, we're in, yeah, so we're on the southern, like, we actually border with Pawtucket, which borders with Providence. Yeah, so we're, we're on the border of Rhode Island. Oh, it's about a 40-minute drive from uh, Boston and about a 40-minute drive to Worcester, maybe 35 minutes. Yeah. A buddy of mine is a chemist and he's looking for work there. And him and his girlfriend who lives in Charleston are looking at homes in Providence. That's how I'm familiar with that general area. I just don't know the towns. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Come, and, come to Attleboro. It's a very, it's a very lovely town. We've got a beautiful zoo, art museum, uh, beautiful park. But it's, it's actually a very vibrant town, and they've done. A, they actually have a lot of homes and uh, luxury condos too. It's pretty, pretty, pretty happening place. Great restaurants too. What is your biggest historic uh, landmark in Attleboro? Oof. I I, I want to say it's Capern Park Zoo. We have some memorials from the Civil War that were yeah. just rebronzed several years ago, so that's really nice. Um, we have it's a jeweler city so like balfour used to make like all the rings for super bowls and oh you know you get your class rings from they're My located high school there. ring yeah yeah yep so oh, they yeah very the, the, it's very rich with history there's a blackington inn which is kind of a swanky place but it was colonel blackington that was his home yeah. it's kind of a historical building yeah it's it's a, it's a really pretty cool place I mean, it's one of the cool things about the northeast man you can't you can't spit five miles any direction without hitting some historical landmark, you know, because there's so many things that happened here between the Revolutionary War and the Civil War. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. 
That's amazing. That's cool. So Doug Helfer is your guitarist? Yeah, well, I'm the guitarist. So I do most of the leads, but Doug okay. cut one of the leads. So Solomon's song, he played the lead on. I got but you. Pretty okay. much, yeah, pretty much all the other six-string instruments, that was me. So if I go out to see Herringbone, I'm just hearing yep. you and maybe sometimes Doug might show up. Is that right? No, Doug performs with us. Yeah, so he'll, 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 he'll he learned the songs. He plays the songs, but mm -hmm. basically, I, uh, you know how it is. We were just talking about musicians and how flaky they are. And like, he's my best friend. I've known him for thirty plus years. Oh, no and you know, I'll be like, all right, we're doing a session, and uh, I book the time. You know, come on down to the studio. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be there. I'll be there. And he never shows up, so I just end up cutting all the tracks. Hearing Bone a band then, or is Hearing Bone just like a stage name that you use? It's a it's a band. It's just a it's basically a band that of I guess mercenaries. Other than Doug, Doug Doug's my friend, and he has a genuine interest in it. And he he encourages me, and he does the sound at the shows and stuff like that. Gotcha. But like what you hear in the studio, like on those recordings, those are all extremely professional musicians that I paid to uh, you know sing backup, play organ, drums, all that kind of stuff. That's really actually quite clever. Pete, the drummer on the recording, he's the drum tech for uh, Volbeat, which is like a big time metal band. They're from really? Denmark, and so he, uh -huh. yeah, oh, he tours, he tours all over uh, Europe with them and the states. And then when he's not doing that, he did a few gigs with Extreme and Ace Freely, and uh, wow. he was on Push's tour. Yeah, he's he's legit. He's a hell of a drummer, and even better, he comes extremely prepared. He has all his parts together. And he can tune, because he's a drum tech for his living, his drums are always tuned perfectly. And whatever the engineer wants in the studio, he can provide it to him, like on the on the dime. So do you do live shows or are you just promoting yes. your music? You do live shows. And when you do a live show, who shows up? Like, is it just whoever, whatever musicians you can get or what? Correct. That's right. Yeah, so because, you know, Pete, he's on the road, you know, he could be on the road six months out of the year. So he, one of his good friends he recommended for the gig, and his name is Butch LeBeau, and uh, LeBeau, Butch LeBeau, and uh, he's the drummer on the road. So, like, we, we don't do we do not do a tremendous amount of shows, but we try to put on a special show where we have, like, a nine-piece band. So wow, we'll have, no kidding. Wow. Yeah, yep. So we'll have two guitarists and then myself. I play a lot of the leads. We'll have a organ player, um, three background singers, and uh, the drums and bass. And then w when I can, I hire in uh, a pedal steel player too for one of the ballads. So take me back to the beginning, the genesis right. of Herringbone. Where did it all begin? Where did it come right. from? Yeah. All right. So let's see. About 2018, um, I did a concert. Uh, I assembled a bunch of people together to do a, um, a, a benefit show for, uh, you know, Yemen, uh, the, the country of Yemen. Right. There's a bit of genocide. I think that they've eased restrictions lately, but at that time there was a genocide going on. So we just wanted to raise f funds for people starving, you know. So we put a show together, and some of the musicians and I, we just got along really well, and we just jived. So we decided we were going to do a bunch of covers, like, you know, this kind of like singer-songwriter stuff, right, Van yeah. Morrison, you know, uh, Rod Stewart, classic 70s stuff, and a little bit of 80s. And then 
COVID happened. So that band was going very well. We had a background singer, like three-part harmonies. It was really terrific. Uh, then COVID happened. And I just wasn't really feeling very fulfilled anymore. I wanted to write my own music like I used to when I was younger, before I had kids. Yeah. And it, it created, I think it created a, a bit of tension in the band and some of the musicians left. And then sadly, um, my best, my, my other, other than Doug, I had another best friend who used to play drums in the band with me for years and years. And he was my karate instructor too, uh, Steve. Oh. Steve DeFossis. Yeah, that's how I met him. He was a yeah, my karate instructor. Yeah. And he's like, Aaron, I play drums. I'm like, yeah, whatever. You're like, you know what I mean? Like, and he was a cop. This guy was bigger than life. He was like a, like an action figure. You know what I mean? Like, you know, uh -huh. he, this, yeah. he used to say the action Sensei Steve playset. You know, today, it's all about brisket. You were talking about brisket earlier. Yeah, yeah. That was his claim to fame, too. He always making brisket and cooking <laughs> for days and whatever. Uh, but he was like a big brother to me. And he really encouraged me to write music and to be the leader of the band and do that kind of stuff. Yeah. And he got COVID and he died. Ooh. And yeah, no, that was, that was pretty heavy. It, that, that, that really knocked me on my ass. Yeah. And then a, a few months later I got COVID. So, you know, it's oh like when someone that close to you dies, yeah. then you, I ended up having COVID that I didn't, barely even knew it but still like you get diagnosed with it and you're like oh my god am i gonna die too i was it got me on the path where i just like you know what this is my bucket list i want to write songs and i want to yeah. record them and whatever it takes i'm not gonna wait anymore for people in the cover band or anybody else that i have a saying that like you know if you if you're waiting for other people to make your dreams come true you're gonna have a long wait you know, you know? don't hold so, your breath <laughs> exactly yeah so i decided uh, i while while i was sick i wrote solomon song and then i wrote Goldmine. then i wrote a, a bunch of others they just they just kind of came and then a couple of the songs are from like 25 30 years ago that doug had said yeah what about that song you used to do what about that song you should yeah. record that so it's mostly new songs but a couple of old old nuggets from the past i find this really fascinating that a lot of the songwriters that i talked to that did covers have said the exact same thing. Yeah. They, you know, they, they wanted to perform. They wanted to be in a band. They get out, they're doing like, you know, they're doing Iron Maiden or Iron Butterfly or Ario Speedwagon or Barry Manilow or yep. whatever, you know. They're doing yep. whatever. And then all of a sudden, it's like, all of a sudden it got empty. It's like not fulfilling. Yeah, And what exactly. they wanted to do was doing exactly what you're doing today. So, yep. so kids kids that are in cover bands fast forward now <laughs> exactly listen Once you, what, turn 15, what, you can do it all you want <laughs> listen to uncle aaron and uncle tom fast forward yep. past all that crap and go right into writing because you'll skip that period of of not feeling fulfilled anymore you know exactly. although you, you gotta do it though right you kind of it's kind of like earning your bones or kind of cutting your teeth absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. Dude, that's really where I developed my voice and I found the songs and the things that I'm good at singing. Yeah. You know, like, like I probably want to be, if I could be any singer in the world, I'd want to be like a Freddie Mercury or a Marvin Gaye or somebody like that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm more of like a Chris Robinson or a um, Rod Stewart or somebody like that, you know? No kidding. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I've done those other songs, Queen songs, or yeah. I've done Marvin Gaye songs and stuff like that. Al Green. I love Al Green. Love Al Green. Yeah. And, yeah. But, 
we we did a our high school reunion 10 years our 40th 10 years ago yeah. 11 well nine years ago whatever and yeah. uh afterwards we had an after party and we were doing karaoke and i did i just knocked it out of the park between marvin gay and al green you know i was doing one or the other and this buddy of mine came in and he says man did you hear that guy was singing up there a few minutes ago like he did so in love with you I'm like yeah was yeah. me <laughs> <laughs> awesome yeah you're gonna come up to massachusetts and do some numbers with us yeah you know i was gonna but no i got this thing you know <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> so the first song of yours we're gonna play uh when the poison's gone love the title because the image that invoked for me as soon as i heard the title when the poison's gone a man that's been married twice okay so when the poison's yep, gone, yep. took took a, a, a certain place with me. So tell me about that song and the genesis of that and how that became what it is today. Well, it's just kind of like a a, a flight of fancy and imagination, you know, like, you know, but like when you're in high school, or you have girlfriends or whatever, or I, I pictured my, if I ever broke up with my wife or something, like love is like an addiction, you know, you're addicted to that high. It's like a dopamine. Yeah. And then... If it turns, when it turns bad, like when, in earlier relationships I had, it's still an addiction, but now it's killing you. You know, it's like it's in your veins. You can't get out of it. You know, it's like uh, I've never used like heroin or anything like that, but I picture what it would be like to have junk in your veins and you're trying mm -hmm. to like clean yourself up and you can't, you know, and that's <laughs> I guess that's what it's really all about is just that. And, and it's a song about an affair. So basically it's about. Ha you know having an affair and you can't shake it even though you know it's bad for you uh -huh. you know i guess yeah so that was the poison the affair that's, that's yeah the yeah. affair well the woman the woman in the song the, the gotcha yeah yeah that's heavy like, that's heavy man that's cool that's cool because what i do in the show is like i hear songs when they come to me i listen to them yeah it's kind of neat and i listen for like the tempo I listen for the flavor of it you know sometimes i'll yep. get into the lyrics and if i if something catches me in the lyrics i'll get hooked into it but mostly i listen to it from my frame of reference that's why i love talking to songwriters because yeah where i'm coming from isn't necessarily where you're coming from you know now when yeah. i hear this song i want to hear it all over again about a thousand times because it's a really good song <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thank you very uh, much. Uh, thank you. And we're going to give it a listen. Now, the band is Herringbone. Aaron Chauncey's our guest. And the song is called When the Poison's Gone.
Herringbone is the band, and When the Poison's Gone is the song from Attleboro, Mass. We're with Aaron Chauncey here on the Music of America podcast. You know, you meet, you fall in love, you commit to each other. Now, that's the easy part, but somehow, after about two years or so, things begin to get challenging. Emotions and flair have waned. We disagree more, uh, feeling disillusioned even at times. This period of disappointment can last a long time, even into the years. That's usually when couples reach out to like a therapist or somebody to help them develop better communication skills. Two years after forever, a relationship workbook is dedicated to help couples find that effective communication. This guidebook, sort of a how-to book, teaches you some skills to learn about communication deficiencies that likely exist, but better it offers exercises to improve those skills and be better communicators, better partners. Two years after forever. It's not a self-help book. It's a workbook. You have to do the work. If you do these exercises together and apply the lessons you've learned, you will absolutely see a difference in all your relationships, particularly lasting into the future, like you know, forever. Available at Amazon today and forever. So Aaron Chauncey is our guest from a band called Herringbone. The constant in Herringbone is you. Is you write the songs, you're the front man, you're the lead yes. guitarist, you know. When did you first start playing music out? Yes. Oof. Uh, probably when I was about 16 or 17. Like, you know, I played variety shows in junior high and high school and that sort of stuff. But yeah. I started taking it seriously probably like six, 16 or 17 years old. Was there music in and, your uh, family? Yeah, I, I, think, I think there's a little bit. I'm not really sure. Um, I come from kind of a broken family, so it's it's hard oh, okay. to really trace it. But yeah. there's definitely a love of music. My mom played piano. My grandmother played piano. So yeah, I guess so. I guess. A, but there's this tremendous love of music and a music appreciation in my house growing up. My grandmother was an Elvis nut. Oh really? She loved Liberace. My mom loved. Oh yeah. My mom, because um, she was divorced. Uh, so I come from a broken home, but the one thing I did get from her was her love of um, Philadelphia soul music. So the soul, you know what I mean, like uh, yeah, all that great absolutely. stuff. Absolutely, and, and 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 other soul music too. Like, but like uh, I love, yeah, uh, it's one of the spinners. I love the spinners. I love um, all the OJ. Oh yeah, Hall and Oates. Absolutely, I love Hall and Oates. I mean, if you listen but, to listen to an interview with Daryl Hall. You know, yep. and he'll talk about the sound of Philadelphia mm -hmm. and what an influence that is in him and him and John Oates and how they came out of that sound. Without a doubt, it's the, some of the best music that's ever been recorded. Absolutely. Some, some of the warmest, you know, just like from a produ producing and engineering perspective, like the recordings are so warm and deep. Um, I love, uh, well, so I was, a, she loves to tell the story about when I was two years old. And um, the popular song on the radio at the time was uh, Billy Paul, Me, Mrs. Jones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I drive, I'd be in my uh, car seat in the back, and that song could be coming on, and I'd be asleep, and I'd wake up, Me and Mrs. Jones, or like, you know, <laughs> I'd go to the, her friends would uh, come to the car, and I'd be singing the song out the window at them. Funny so, story. Yeah, a lot of, yeah, I... lot of, lot of years. Go ahead. I, I had a, a pest control company in St. Louis, and one of my accounts was the St. Louis Housing Authority, and the lady that ran one of the divisions of the St. Louis Housing Authority was a lady named Mrs. Jones, who was like probably 10 years my senior, okay? All right. 
And I'd walk in at the end of the day and I'd be singing, me and Mrs. Mrs. Jones, we got yeah. thing going on. And I'm doing this and I walk in there one time and I walk into her office, I turn the corner, I walk in and her husbands are like, <laughs> just giving me this stare as she just knew she heard me coming down the hall she could yeah. have come out and said hey bug man my, you know but she set this up so that he could hear because that's what i did you know at the end of the day i'd walk in i'd sing sing that song when i was done and i had a good day you know yeah <laughs> and her husband there he's like so this is the bug man like, hey mr jones how are you <laughs> i love it great yeah but that's that that music soul music funk music that kind of stuff it's like hardwired into me so even though i yeah. love classic rock and i do in the like doing the rock stuff it, it that's just in my dna because of my mom yeah yeah that whole r&b philadelphia i call it the philadelphia sound it's got almost it's you know like motown had its sound austin yeah. had its west texas swing but philly's got its own sound and it's that like you said oj's spinner's temptations kind of thing yeah you yeah know? i can't remember my, my favorite my all-time favorites i can't remember uh who they are and all of a sudden is like, you know, bet you by golly well I was just watching them on TV last night like, uh, uh, stylistics, the stylistics. Yeah, that's it that's it that's right yeah <laughs> yeah they're my favorite I love the they just had that, that 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 whole sound that, that groove it was soft and it was mellow and it was jazzy and it was blues you know it's funky too though oh. at the same time it had it had all those elements of the music we were listening to at that time and it worked yeah it was yep uh, you know what i watch a lot now they have a on youtube they're rebroadcasting the midnight special the old tv show oh you're kidding how fun yeah, so every week you get to watch it and live so that they live stream it so everyone who's watching can comment with each other you know that's exciting it's that very so exciting. exciting how fun I mean, that was like night. our that was our Friday night when we were growing up watching Don Kirshner's yeah. rock concert or or going to Midnight Special, and we would actually yeah. have parties at people's houses because like Peter Frampton's gonna be on tonight, or the OJ's oh, will yeah. be, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm older than you, dude, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I barely even remember the show. I just the music I remember, you know, because I, I knew that there was a show, the Midnight Special, but I was too yeah. young to watch it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thanks. I was never up that late. So let me ask you this. This is a fun question, Aaron. Uh, you get a phone call and it's a Hollywood okay. producer and says, man, we love everything you do. We want to do your life story, but you have to pick who's playing you. So who plays Aaron Chauncey in the Herringbone movie? Oh my God. I, I couldn't even imagine. I, I, uh, okay. How I about this? We'll, we'll flip it. We'll flip it then. A producer right. calls you up and says, we're doing this movie about X and you've got this guy down. You've got his sound. You've got his moves. You've got his groove. And we were looking for that groove. We want you to play the part of, you brought up Freddie Mercury earlier. No, I don't think I could do him. Yeah. I, could, I, could, I don't think I'd pull that off. I would think either Chris Robinson from the Black Crows or maybe uh, the, the ultimate dream would be to do Bob Seger. That would be no a Bob kidding. Seger movie. I, I'm a huge Seeger fan. That's you know, so it's funny. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, I couldn't stand Bob Seeger's music. I just thought it was so corny. Yeah. And now, as each day goes by, and I've been a fan of his probably 20 years now, but each day passes. Like, the songs connect with me even more and more and more. When Bob Seeger was, like, in his pop top 40 heyday against the yep. wind and, you know. Uh, yeah. 
I was in radio. So I had to yeah. play Bob Seeger like every 75 minutes. Right. I got right, right. so sick of him. I have yet to listen to a Bob Seeger song until last night. We were watching a movie, some goofy rom com thing, but in this in the movie, yeah. the soundtrack was made uh for this movie, and one of the songs in there was You'll Accompany Me but Bob Seeger. Oh, yeah. And so I had to shut myself up and listen to how good that song is. He's so good. Yeah. You know, it, I, I couldn't... It's funny because... It's, it's funny you mentioned that because the 80s ruined so much music for me because, you know, I was an adolescent and yeah. going into a teenager. So the 80s and the, you know, the sensibilities and how records were produced then, they destroyed Jay Giles for me, ZZ Top, Fleetwood Mac... Uh, let's say Bob Seger, uh, you know, Van Morrison, Elton John. Like it, it took years later for me to go back and discover all those artists and they had their catalog in the seventies and how, yeah. you know, rich and textured and wonderful those recordings are. That is so cool. You say that. And on behalf of me and all the DJs that were DJs at that time in your life, we're sorry, but boy, <laughs> no kidding. We just ruined so much because Giles had such great music. I mean, listen to oh, Captain Fantastic. Wow. Listen to Cam Fa Captain Fantastic by Elton John, you know? And then yep. juxtapose that with Philadelphia Freedom. You'll throw up. I swear to God, you'll throw up. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. It's just like, it's, it's, it's just a polar shift. Totally different. Absolutely. Because you know, Queen the, did the same thing. Exactly. Queen. It was another one I was going to think of. Yeah. One, yep. Again, not, not to take away from bicycle or fat bottom girls or we will rock you you know those were all good songs but it wasn't yeah. the queen that got them to be able to produce and make those songs you know and then you get sick yeah. of them because yeah, yeah. we had to you know in top 40 radio we had to play you know we are the champions every 95 minutes or whatever it was you know <laughs> yeah i never really understood that you know it's a like uh, you you could probably speak to this because I've always, as this is a, a listener like I haven't listened to commercial radio in probably twenty five years now ever since satellite radio came out yeah because I couldn't stand the commercials and I couldn't stand the repetition of the songs it's right. just like it, it's almost like you you uh, who's that guy down in Texas Waco the the guy that they the FBI raided and they 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 played the music over and over again to torture oh, him yeah so yeah I, I can't remember I yeah. know what you're talking about though. yeah 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 they just play the same stupid song over and over again and right. drive them mad that's what it was like listening to music on the radio well we're sorry <laughs> yeah. my buddies my buddies that were in radio with me back then are all saying the exact same thing how did we yep. do this and why did we do this and why we did for from our standpoint this that's about the time that radio consultants came in because yep. radio at the end of the day is a business and the business is to generate money create more business etc cetera, etc cetera. So the best way to get more revenue to target your audience, blah, 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 is to follow these certain formulas that have been proven to work in other markets. Right. So, and those markets yep. were yep. That turning over audience because, you know, people aren't listening to the radio the way, like right now, you'll sit there and you'll listen to a podcast. You find a podcast like, you know, um, Music of America talking to Herringbone. If you find it interesting, you'll listen to it for a half hour, 45 minutes. Yep. But if you didn't like Hey Deanie, by Leif Garrett, you're going to turn that yep. station off and you're going to go someplace else and hear a song you like. So the idea wow. is to get people listening or people that are changing stations because they didn't hear the song they want to hear, that you're playing something that they do want to hear.
I never understood the science behind it, but they didn't pay me to understand it. They just paid me to follow instructions. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, just hit the buttons. That's right. It's, all... it's funny. There's, some... there's a lot of synchronicity in this conversation. Like I mentioned Bob Seger, and you just watched the Bob Seger soundtrack yeah, in the movie. Yeah. You mentioned Leif Garrett, and I just recently watched an old movie starring Leif Garrett. Yeah, it's about kidding. music. Yeah, it's called Thunder Alley. It's like a kind of a cheesy. What a horrible movie. <laughs> Yeah, it's a horrible movie, but like I was a little kid when I watched it. I was like, oh my God, I want to be like these guys. That's right. That's <laughs> it's, right. A, it's a totally horrible movie, but it has, it has a place in my heart. I, I gotcha. I'm, I'm with you 100%. All right, let's let's reel it in. Let's get back to, to Herringbone and, and Aaron Wait, Chauncey. Before we do that, though, before we do that, one quick thing. Yeah. Uh, before we watched that, I made my son, who's 30 years old, I made him watch Eddie and the Cruisers. And I haven't Great watched movie. Eddie and the Cruisers. Well, I, so that's what I said. I, I haven't watched it since I was 12. And he was like, yeah, the movie was okay. I, I, I had to go to sleep. I had to drive him to the airport. He was going to Colorado. He watched the ending. He goes, Dad, that was the worst movie. That movie sucked, blah, blah, blah. And so anyways, some more synchronicity. Eddie and the Cruisers, uh, the soundtrack was recorded at Triad Studios. I think it used to be, it had a different name. But mm -hmm. Triad Studios is where we recorded our uh, herringbone all, all these tracks were recorded in the no same studio. Kidding. Now, see, yeah, it's I, in a different location, but it's the same. It's the same booth and the same audio gear. That's so cool. Yeah, you were, uh, what was it? John Cafferty in the Beaver Brown band, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Now, see, I, I thought it was a. I thought it, the storyline was great. I thought it was a really good movie. But I'm a music guy, yeah. so if you're not a music the guy, good. the thing he didn't like, he's a movie guy. He does film and. Uh, he, he does film and uh, photography. Yeah. He works for a big company doing that. Um, but uh, the, the studio used to be called Normandy Sound. That's what it used to be called when they recorded it. Then they moved to Warren, Rhode Island. It's the uh -huh. same engineer and the same um, same recording equipment, but now it's called Triad Studios. No, I'll be doing. And that's yeah. where you recorded Herringbone? Yes. That's so cool. That is yeah, so it's cool. pretty cool. Peter Wolf did did an album there, and Steve Smith from Journey did a, right. a jazz fusion album there, and they, Christina Aguilera and New Kids on the Block, they didn't record there, but their albums were mastered there. I got you. Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes parts come in from yeah. So yeah. tell me about Goldmine then. Where was Goldmine done? Was that done there? Yep. Yep. All the songs that you can find on Spotify were recorded at Triad. Gotcha. How'd you set yep. that up? Yeah. Uh, so a, a buddy of mine, his kid plays in, uh, well, used to play in a power punk band and they were recording there and they knew this young engineer who was working for, you know, short money. He was kind of like a student engineer. Uh -huh. Now, now he, but that all changed. But after he had his hours in, I started paying like the regular rate, but, uh, he was a young kid. He was ambitious and he hadn't recorded anything like classic rock or blues rock or anything like that. So yeah. uh, he was willing to take on the project and it expanded his horizons. And we got a great sounding, you know, recording with somebody who was really passionate about it. So, so it, it worked out good for both of us. That's how I, that's how I met uh, Zach, Zach Fisk. He was the engineer yeah. for the album. Well, that's that a name I've heard. Music. I don't know if I've heard that because maybe you and I talked about it. The, the name sounds familiar. Has he done major labels or? No, no, he's just done, you know, local music in the Providence okay. scene, local uh, power, power pop bands, power, you know, punk bands, things like that. Gotcha. But he's a hell of a kid and pretty open-minded, so it was fun. 
cool. I was like, all right, we're going to bring in three-piece three piece singers now. Or we're going to do, uh, you know, we have an organ, a pedestal guitar. Or we're going to do, you know, harmony guitar solo. Or we're going to do, you know, all, all, any, any kind of idea. He was pretty open to it. Cool. It's funny, too. I, I, we'll get to it when we come back about Solomon's song. But uh, the singers, it's that's a pretty interesting story, too. Well, let's do Goldmine yeah. Let's do gold mine now. We'll play that now. Yeah, and when we come out of it, then we'll talk about the singer and Solomon song. But right now, yeah, we're with Herringbone. Song is called Goldmine. Trying to make 
take a break on my own She was more than just a lover She bested all the others Ain't never gonna leave her alone She said, come on baby Let me put the rock in your wall Honey child And she said, never baby And that song is called Goldmine with Herringbone, yep. our guest here on the Music of America podcast. I'm your host, Tom Pollard. Now, are you a 30-watt guy? I'm a 50 and 100-watt guy. I've got a 50-watt. I've got a couple 100-watt amps. But there's a 30-watt amp from Landry Amps that beats everything I own. It's called the LS30. Comes to Bill Landry. Came to him by taking the red channel from his 100-watt LS100G3 and made one channel a low-wattage EL34-powered amp. After building the prototype, he divided the one channel into two channels with a shared stack. As it turned out, they worked really nicely together with really bright switches, separate gain controls, a master volume on either channel. Bam! The LS30 from Landry Amps with all the goodness of an EL34 and all this barely over 25 pounds. The LS30 from Bill Landry at Landry Amps. Check them out. They have a YouTube channel or you can find them at www.landryamps.com. Dot com. Aaron Chauncey's our guest from Herringbone. Aaron, I usually somewhere along the line ask this qu- this question: What what you play through? What's your guitar of choice? What's your amp of choice? What do you usually play through, though? All right. Well, I'm really glad you asked that because we were talking. We were just talking earlier about Maine, and, and uh, my amplifier is a custom made amplifier by Joel Amston. He has a company called Soma. He's a, a luthier. He makes his own electric guitars and he no longer makes amplifiers so i have a limp like a very limited wow. uh i, I want to call it consider an heirloom amplifier um it's a 50 watt it's uh all hand wired by joel there's no like you know circuitry imported from you know china <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> or, or in the case of bill landry's amps mississippi <laughs> mississippi right yeah, yeah. Yeah, same idea. You know, it's like yeah. all the wood he makes the cabinet from is Maine wood. Anything he can source from Maine is sourced from Maine. That's cool. And, but that and really I have cool. two of his guitars. Yeah, no kidding. It's extremely cool. And I got to, I got to pick the Tolix on my amp, so uh-huh. it's like kind of like country western style. It's got that like that like it looks like Bronco Billy type of right. Tolex. It, and someone else, one of his other customers, saw it and thought it looked sharp, so they had to put on their amp too. Well, I'll be but done. that. Almost, almost every single guitar you hear on the amplifier—I mean, on the uh, on the uh, recordings—was the Soma amp. Other than like we know, we texturally you need to have other amplifiers to kind of fatten the sound or sweeten yeah, it or do, right. do different uh, things sonically. So we used an orange amplifier too, a little tiny Terror that we ran through the the Soma. It's a two twelve cab, uh-huh. um, and then I I think I used a Fender for one track too. Um, 
we didn't have to do this, but a lot of times I'm sure you're well aware they have the guitar sims and they're very sophisticated now. Right. Um, so we, we would track the, the guitar dry to the board just in case the amp miking failed. And it was very elaborate the way that we mic'd the no kidding. guitar That's amplifiers. Interesting. Yeah. You know, kind, of, kind of like, you know, a Jimmy Page type of thing or, you know, it's, yeah. it's not really that crazy, but you have mics out in the hall capturing your reverb rather yeah. than processing reverb and you know you have two mics kind of opposing each other in front of the cab or like you know spatially oriented i'm i'm not a recording engineer so it kind of goes above my head but right. it, I, I i was paying by the hour so i can tell you how expensive <laughs> it was I'm I'm like, do we really need to adjust this microphone a quarter of an inch to yeah. <laughs> I really want to brighten this up. I gotta brighten the sound up. <laughs> but I, I couldn't be more thrilled with the, the uh result. And so uh Joel also made a couple he made me a Les Paul Jr. guitar with some Lindy Fraylin pickups in it. Well it's a one one Lindy Fraylin P ninety. Yeah. And that thing plays like butter. And then he has his own signature model, which is kind of like a mixture of a Les Paul and a uh, Telly. So that yeah. uh, I I played that on some of the tracks. Like when the poison's gone, I played I think rhythm on that. I might have no, I didn't play the lead on that one. But this this is the craziest thing. This is a great story. When I was a teenager, uh, like a lot of teenagers my age, around my you know came up the same time I did, I was obsessed with Jimmy Page. Yeah, and I had to have a Les Paul, right. but I did. You know, my, my family wasn't super affluent, and they weren't about to drop Les Paul money on a you know sixteen year old. <laughs> but my dad, <laughs> we, Especially we when had a guy, a fifty dollar guitar down at Western Auto, right? <laughs> kind of similar, yeah. Yeah, I got this guitar. It was an antique dude. My dad was an antique salesman. I mean, not salesman, antique dealer, and he knew another antique dealer who also was selling musical instruments because he was a musician. Mm -hmm. And so he sold him this, it was a court. It's a Korean guitar, uh -huh. 1986. It's a Les Paul. And I'm going to tell you, I, I would take this. I always was impressed. It had the weights in it, like a real Les Paul. And it played in great. And I left the guitar. I, I was more, I, I passed over the, the Jimmy Page thing at some point and I wanted to be Eddie Van Halen and I wanted to be Steve I. Yeah, so yeah. then I started playing the, the guitars with the whammy bars and stuff, you know? Right. And I did that for a number of years, but like maybe like five years ago, I started to, to get curious about that court guitar and it took me a number of years to find it, but I found that same exact model and it was, I found a store maybe in, I want to say Texas that was selling it. They shipped it to me. The thing looked like it came off the showroom. The no guitar kidding. was so beautiful. How cool is that? Yeah. yeah. It was. But so what I did, me being me, I had it all rewired. I, I was going to put new pickups in, uh -huh. but I took it up to Joel in Maine, and we listened to it, and it sounded incredible. The pickup sounded so good. Um, but I had them dipped in paraffin just so they wouldn't feed back if I got right. real loud with it. Had the thing refretted, new new pots, new switch. Um but other than that, the, the tuning heads were extraordinary. They're better than, uh, I, I, this is, anyone, any Les Paul nuts who are going to listen to this are going to want to chop my head off or think I'm an idiot, and I probably <laughs> am. But I would take this over virtually any Les Paul, other than like maybe Jimmy Page's actual 1959 Les Paul. <laughs> you, you know, know it plays so is, goodness. you find your guitar, that's your guitar. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, 
what was a story I heard that uh, uh, I can't remember who it was, but uh, somebody somebody had a guitar, not Ron Wood, but somebody had a guitar and they had to sell it or whatever. And Slash bought it. Yep. And this guy finally turned things around and he wanted his original guitar back. And and Slash like, no. He's like, oh, come on, man. He's like, no, nah, no. Nah. And they kept trying to buy it because this guy's wife sold it or something like that in a divorce. Yep. Slash bought it and paid a lot of money for it but uh and i can't think of who it was because you know now i'm trying to you know at the end of it all this guy had his like a uh, 50th anniversary concert or whatever and slash gave it back to him as a as a gift which is a really cool that's story cool. yeah yeah that's cool. because and in fact the point though is that uh when you find your guitar it doesn't matter what anybody yeah. else has because this is like your baby this is your thing you know mm-hmm. so cool right on so did you play yeah. that in Solomon? Yeah, so that, that guitar is definitely one of my babies. But I do yeah. yeah, so I played like the leads in Solomon, except the main solo in the middle of the song, that like that was Dougie. That was Dougie's okay. main contribution, only contribution to the recordings. But and and Dougie will tell you, like I, I would never leave a solo in any anything I wrote if I thought it sucked. And he like he blew my mind how good he that solo is. I think that, yeah. I hate to say it, I think it's the best solo on all the songs. <laughs> no kidding, that's great. I think, yeah, I'm so proud of him. I really am. I'm very proud of him and the work he put into that solo. And there was a story you wanted to tell us about Solomon. Oh, all right. Uh, no, I don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me neither. <laughs> we'll skip it. That's okay. <laughs> I forget what we were talking about. Yeah, you, oh, yeah. You... So, so Solomon, that's right. That was the first song we recorded. And the background singers, one of them is a, a woman named Michelle Thompson. Uh-huh. And she was a contestant on The Voice at one oh, point. Wow. And she uh-huh. sings the national anthem all over the country. And, yeah, it was a real honor and pleasure to have her come in. She had her troupe. And... The other singers, they, they, one of them said uh, it was gentleman. He sang background, a uh, backup for Patti LaBelle a couple of times. Uh-huh. And the, uh, another woman had sung, uh, that was in her troupe. She had sung backup for somebody else that was really famous. And they had the unbelievable voices, really terrific. And then the rest Ooh. of the songs are a troupe. They're called Divas with a Twist. And they're in Massachusetts. And they're very in demand. All their shows are sold out. And they, are, they sing like angels, too. I it's love a different the vibe, name. but still, just, I love yeah, the name. Divas yeah. with a twist. Divas with a twist. Yeah, they kind of do like a like a review, a music review, and they yeah. do like songs. It's it, it's a kind of like a big. It's a big show. It's not like going to a venue and seeing a band. It's more like a big production. They go in very large theaters, and they're always sold out. Well, I lived in Springfield, Missouri, that- which was not that far from Branson, and that's what you had there. And I really love the idea of living close to Branson to go see all this live music. It was all shows. They were all shows. I was so disappointed, you know. I wanted to go see, like maybe Larry Gatlin or Mac Davis do a show, but no, it was their concert yeah. theater. But then, then did shows, and it was all productions, you know. Yeah. Not that they weren't good. Not that they weren't good, but it's just uh, wasn't what I wanted, you know. Yep. So tell me about Solomon. What's all right, uh, Solomon song. So, uh, full disclosure. I'm a member of a fraternal organization in Alboro, Massachusetts, and it's veiled in allegory and uh, secret symbols and things like that. Yeah. And 
So my experience in that fraternal organization colored the lyrics to Solomon's song. It's basically the 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 myth and of King Solomon uh-huh. and how I interpreted that with what I was dealing with playing in the band. How remember I told still told you that I was playing in a cover band and I right. was frustrated and it was kind of taking those lessons from learning about King Solomon and what his life was all about and the things that he went through and the problems he had and trying to apply that to myself and what it being in a band and trying to make myself a better person and not, uh, I guess, disparage others or, you know, like face up to accountability for yourself and like what, what you're really trying to do in this world. It's a brilliant, brilliant. It's kind concept. of, a myst- myst- yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. It's kind of like a mystical song, you know, but it's really, it's a song about searching, searching yourself. Searching yourself for what your to true find feelings your best, are and how you, what your place is in the world. Search yourself, find your best self, and present that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you said you said it so succinctly, so much better than I could. Well, I listen to the song, dude. You get to listen to your music once in a while. <laughs> yeah, on. right. <laughs> the, band, the band is Herringbone. Our guest is Aaron Johnson. I don't think I'll ever stop this podcast because I'm just digging this interview so much, but this is a song called Solomon's Song. The wicked. 
Great song, Solomon song, Herringbone, our guest, Aaron Chauncey, here, guest on the Music of America podcast. And again, happy Thanksgiving, Aaron. Before we leave, this is the last segment of the show we call Shameless Self-Promotion. So Ooh, this is where you... It's the best part, absolutely. It's where you like... It's just a... Uh, what was that show that used to be all gone, uh, on TV called Pimp My Ride? Was it Pimp, yeah. your, <laughs> Pimp, Pimp Your Site, man? Just tell me anything we can do to, to follow you, support you, buy your T-shirts, your stickers, your music, whatever. Well, I haven't made any T-shirts or stickers yet, but I got to. It's, it's, it's like I work a full-time job, and I have four dogs. I have three kids, grandkids. And like writing and recording the music takes a lot, but I yeah. got to get some marketing stuff. I got to do it. As a matter of fact, if anybody listening to this and they want to have me hire them to do that, then let me know because I I could I would definitely hire somebody to help me with this. But um, in the meantime, I have a music video that you can watch if you go to my link tree. Um, uh, I have seven songs on Spotify. We have a show coming up uh, January thirteenth at Ben's Poorhouse in Avon, Mass. Uh, so that's going to be a big show. Hopefully we'll have the full nine piece band performing that night. It's going to be a review with a bunch of other bands, you know, but uh, probably, we'll probably get like at least 40 minutes in there, I think. And we're looking forward to doing that. I'm writing more music, we're going to be recording more music, um, putting that all together. So in the coming months, we'll be recording more songs. Will there be a new Herringbone CD and, uh, in 2024? See, I hope so. Well, and so all the songs that are out now, they were all mixed and mastered as they came out. Uh -huh. So now they're being remastered so they can be put together as an album. Gotcha. And my goal, my, my goal is to put it out on vinyl. And believe it or not, I've had people ask for CDs. I didn't even know that was still a thing. But so I'll probably press CDs, but I really want to press some vinyl. There you go. I see it. <laughs> I, I always have in the podcast in my studio, I always have one or two CDs nearby because when we, I love local art, I love local music. I love supporting the artists. And yep. that's one way that I can do it. I'll spend, you know, five or 10 bucks, whatever for a cover, but this gives me something, yep. you know? And so I have that moment, but then I get to relive that moment. If I buy that CD and uh, sure. so people, if you go see live music, support your musicians and buy their CDs, even if they don't make them. <laughs> amen amen aaron it's been a blast man i appreciate it and uh come up to vermont sometime or i'll come down to mass or something but man we just Got gotta it. i, I want to see the show it sounds so exciting it sounds so much fun yeah. and i want to see the full thing with nine pieces too you know yeah, if you go to my link tree you can see a video of when we performed in march we had a sold out show at a, a place at midway cafe in boston so you can see one song cool all right yeah. man Appreciate it. Aaron Chauncey was our guest today. The band was called Herringbone. Up next, yeah. we'll wrap up our trip to Massachusetts with Linwood Strange. You've been listening to the Music of America podcast. If you like today's show, please go to the website at www.musicofamericapod.com or our Music of America podcast Facebook page. Like us and follow the show and episodes. We tally the votes of all our shows and the most listened to shows will be rebroadcast on our best of shows at the end of the season. I look forward to having you with us again and listening to the Music of America.